0: Welcome to the One Crossing podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, Crossing Church. So glad to see you and to be seen by you this week. I hope you're doing a great job uh, as you're studying and reading and listening to God's word as we're involved in this series uh, called The Cure. And I'm excited to be able to preach this sermon to you from the book of Mark here in just a little bit. Guess what's happening Our campuses are starting to open. Uh, This Mother's Day weekend, three of our campuses were able to open, the one in Iowa, two in Missouri, and uh, we're opening with social distancing. We're being very cautious. We're being very careful. We even have ways of doing contact tracing, uh, but it is exciting to know that we're slowly slowly starting to be able to worship together again. And we're just praying to God that that those doors will open up and the anxiety will go down, the fear will go down, this virus will be something that we can put in our past and we'll be able to worship together like we used to. So you be praying that God would provide that way, we'll make a way and we'll be excited for that uh, together. Uh, This is Mother's Day weekend, like I said, and last year we did something completely different and we liked it so well that we're doing it again this year. We uh, partnered with the CORE Foundation. The the CORE Foundation, uh, they uh, build chicken coops uh, for people in Haiti and uh, then they raise these chickens, uh, they, uh, they raise eggs, they also raise uh, chicken f- chickens to eat, and uh, provides a very important source of protein uh, for children, especially in Haiti, and also provides uh, a livelihood for a family, an extended family, particularly with single moms. So uh, if you wanna get on the website, uh, it's uh, thecrossing.net slash CORE, K-O-R-E, or you can get on uh, CORE Foundation's website as well, and you can find it there as well. And and what you can do is you can sign up. I think the minimum is like $5, and uh, you can buy eggs in, in uh, flats that will be uh, used up by those uh, kids in Haiti, and uh, those single moms will be able to keep that Uh, sustenance going for them, for their families. You can do that in honor of mothers, grandmothers, uh, uh, great grandmothers. I I always look forward to this because I'm able to buy a whole uh, pallet, a whole case of eggs uh, uh, in honor of my mom, who's been gone since 1994. She would absolutely love that. And uh, you can actually send them an email card. That's part of the uh, situation. And every egg we buy is matched. Last year, We matched 100,000 eggs. Can you believe that? That fed a lot of people the protein they needed, kept a lot of businesses going in Haiti. So let's see if we can do that again this year. That'll be exciting, great for Mother's Day. And we especially welcome all of you mothers from all of our locations, thousands strong. Since so many of us are... Uh, are watching online and uh, for those in Keokuk, Kirksville and Hannibal we're thankful for you that are joining us well in a live environment. So, let me ask you a question. If you were to see a car accident, say that car accident happened in a in a crossing, in a in a crossroads, okay? And there there was a stoplight there and there were four corners, right? Four different Uh, corners to that intersection and say you were like standing at this corner, what would you see? Would that be the same as what the person would see that was standing on this corner or that corner up there or that corner over there? It'd be different. You'd be witnessing the same event. You'd be witnessing the same experience, but you would have a different view. And each one of those views would be absolutely critical to understand, like, whose fault was it? Uh, how did this happen this way? And how, what happened that way? And uh, uh, in an investigation, what would they do? An investigator wouldn't want to just get one point of view. That investigator would want to get all four points of view, as many people as were witnessing as possible to see what was going on. Well, that's exactly how you get the clearest picture of the life of Christ. You get four different views. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of those are giving you their their view, their perspective as they look at the life of Christ. All somewhat different, but all be all right at the same time. And that's what we see. That's the benefit that we get from four Gospels instead of one. Each author is seeing it through their own eyes. They're seeing it from their own vantage point, and they're able to concentrate on whatever affects them personally in the story. So like last week, when we were talking from Matthew, we could see that Matthew was seeing it from a very particular perspective. He saw it as a Jewish tax collector. So he sees things mathematically. He wants to prove something, doesn't he? He's uh, excited about being able to show that Jesus is actually this Messiah. And he's coming at it from the angle of being Jewish. And so all these people that had believed uh, these prophecies up to this point are seeing their fulfillment. And that's why Matthew spends so much time on uh, Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy. He spends so so much time on Jesus's teaching and what that teaching meant. Now, when we get to Mark, it's very different. Of all four gospels, uh, when we we look at Mark, we're seeing uh, a, a real mystery. When we look at Matthew, we realize, well, Matthew wrote Matthew. That's why it's called Matthew, Right? But when we get to Mark, what we find out is that Mark, even though he wrote down the words of the gospel of Mark, it's not really something he's recounting because Mark very probably wasn't even a part of Jesus's life. So how could he be an eyewitness? How could he even be an authority that he would be able to write this gospel? As a matter of fact, the book of Mark is the first recorded gospel before any of the others. A deeper look at the book of Mark finds out that Mark was really acting as a scribe. He was writing down the eyewitness account of someone else. And that someone else is a critical player in the New Testament, maybe one of the most critical players, Simon Peter. It was probably written while Simon Peter was in prison at Rome and Mark was there to take care of him. Simon Peter calls Mark his son in the faith. And I'm sure that Simon Peter wanted to get his account of the life uh, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ out so that the world could hear his own eyewitness testimony from his vantage point. So the book of Mark is Simon Peter's view of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And that one fact should change literally everything that you understand and everything you think about as it relates to this book, because what it's doing is it's showing you how Simon Peter related to Jesus, how he saw Jesus, how he interacted with Jesus. And it is so different, so absolutely different from Matthew. Now, let me tell you why. Well, first of all, Peter views Jesus more like a superhero from a Marvel comic book or a blockbuster movie than he does a documentary. When you look at Matthew's gospel, you're, you're just getting stacks of facts. He just keeps piling up and piling on. I'm going to prove to you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the King of the Jews. But when you're looking through uh, Simon Peter's eyes, you get something completely different. Uh, there is really never a break in the action in the book of Mark. The, The word immediately in the Greek language is used over and over. So it's like he tells a story of, well, Jesus did this. And then immediately after that, he did this. And then immediately after that, he did this. And then he did this. And then he did this incredible thing. And immediately after that, he did this incredible thing. And it really reads like a collection of short stories. Uh, Like Simon Peter would be thinking of, well, Jesus did this one thing. And then he would write about that. He would dictate that to Mark. Mark would be writing that and he goes, oh, and then he did this. There's such an excitement in the book of Mark. And it's the way that Peter viewed Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's really the way that Peter viewed life in general. Simon Peter was a guy who lived life full on all the time. And that's how he viewed Jesus. That's what drew him to Jesus because a day in the life of Jesus had to be this incredible experience of full on all the time. Now, Simon Peter leaves out things that Matthew would have brought in early because of Matthew's view. Like there is no mention of the birth Of Jesus Christ or the birth story in the book of Mark. It actually begins with the story of John the Baptist. Now that really makes sense. And I'll tell you why it makes sense. Because Simon Peter was one of those four fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they were all following John the Baptist before Jesus came on the scene. There was something about John the Baptist that really drew them in. This was his connecting point, so he wants to talk about John because that's where, that's where his connecting point to Jesus came from, right? He was drawn to John the Baptist's fiery preaching. This guy in a camel hair tunic that never, uh, cut his hair and the Bible says he ate locusts and honey and he's out in the wilderness and he's preaching this fiery preaching and teaching and then he sees Jesus come and he goes behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He says you should baptize me Jesus instead of me baptizing you. That had to capture Simon Peter's attention along with his brother and his friends. And Jesus his teaching that teaching, which is recounted in the book of Mark, is particularly in the fiery passages. You can see that the things that Simon Peter loved about John's preaching, he also loved about Jesus' preaching. And so Jesus actually, every time he gets excited, that's the part that Simon Peter wants to have written down or recounts to Mark to write down. He also recounts the death of John the Baptist in great detail, and it makes you feel this firm connection that he would have had to John the Baptist. Now, a further look into the book of Mark actually divides it into two parts. This gospel is really a two-part gospel. The first part of it is really concentrating on who uh, Jesus is as understood by the things that he is able to do that no one else is able to do the way that Peter sees it through his own eyes. And then it shifts At the same place and at the same time that Matthew's gospel shifts. It's at Caesarea Philippi in Mark chapter 8. It's where Jesus asks his disciples who they believe he is. And after that moment, you remember that's Simon Peter that was the one that said, You're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. That was the great confession. And after that moment, we see this new reality come to light for Simon Peter. He begins to understand not just the things that Jesus is able to do, the nature of who he is, but he begins to understand why Jesus is actually here. And that leads you to the key verse in the book of Mark. We find it in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And this is what it says. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That really needs to be your memory verse. If you're trying to find that one verse in the book of Mark that you'd like to make your own, have those 27 verses locked in your heart. Let's look at what specifically grabs a hold of Simon Peter in the first part of Mark. Uh, And you can get this from Mark chapter one, verses 21 to 34. Just watch what happens. It says, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed with an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Why have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him and news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And as soon, that's immediately, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. This is Simon Peter's home. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. And the fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, Jesus, uh, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed and the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases and he also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Wow. You see what's going on here? Jesus is teaching, but Peter doesn't even recount that in Mark's gospel. What he recounts is this moment, this this Marvel Comics moment, this blockbuster moment where this demon-possessed man is healed. He sees him cured in the synagogue, and then he tells a story about them literally going across the street to heal his own mother-in-law. And then he heals everybody in town. You see, Simon Peter knew all these people. The town of Capernaum at the time of Jesus was about 1,200 people. He knew them all. He knew these people had their stories, they had their history, and they had their sicknesses and their diseases. And that impacted Simon Peter like nothing else. This fisherman, he was hooked. The stories he recounts after that concentrate primarily on the miracles of healing, miracle working. You remember the story that we spent two years on just recently about the paralytic that was let down through the roof. That's in Mark's gospel. There are other miracles that are recounted in the book of Mark that shows Jesus's power over nature and his power over the demonic world. And while Peter concentrates on actions over teaching, he does connect to Jesus's authority over the law, particularly over Sabbath law, that Jesus is actually doing something greater than what the religious leaders were doing that day. And you know what that does? That connects back to John the Baptist because that's what John was doing. And so you see, that connection between John the Baptist and Jesus and how that impacts Simon Peter. Peter's being mesmerized by witnessing these miracles up close and personal firsthand. And then things start to change for Peter. And it happens when Jesus starts talking about being a servant. That's why that's your memory verse. It happens when he talks about giving his life as a ransom for many. I think Peter was somebody who was more interested uh, in being in charge than he was about being a servant. He was like a guy who just took over a room. He was a guy who is just so impulsive and so loud that he either lights up a room or runs everybody out of a room. You can't really have a a nonchalant response to Simon Peter, either like him or you don't. And I think that's why Simon Peter liked John's preaching, because he could relate to that black and white teaching that it's either this or this. And it really shows in the book of Mark. He is the first apostle called. You know, he relates that himself. He wants you to know that Jesus, before he he calls any other apostle, he calls Simon Peter to be his number one, his first one. He's the only one that is referred to by name after the resurrection. Now remember Simon Peter's dictating this. So he's telling Mark that he wants him to write down, Hey, I was the first disciple and I was the first one that uh, knew about Jesus's resurrection. And he also leaves out his name from some, I would call them more embarrassing stories like Jesus walking on water. You know, He talks about Jesus walking on water, but he doesn't make any mention of him being the one who steps out of the boat, him being the one who's afraid of the wind and the waves and sinks, and then Jesus has to rescue him and shake his head and say, how long am I gonna have to contend with you, you of little faith? He talks about Jesus being arrested in the garden, but makes no mention of the fact that he was the one that cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, and Jesus had to heal that high priest servant. But then we see something else begin to happen. Something else as Simon Peter begins to grasp what it actually means to be a suffering servant. You see, when, when he dictates the book of Mark to Mark so that we can read it today, it's almost like we're stepping back Into history, and Mark is uh, taking us on a journey, Simon Peter taking us on this journey of how his faith evolved and how he learned more as he walked along with Jesus. The fact that he was the only one who makes the good confession in Caesarea Philippi is very subdued in the book of Mark, completely different from Matthew's account. Matthew's account is all about Simon Peter and all of these things that Jesus is saying. But in Mark's account, Simon doesn't want to say that. He doesn't want to say, you're going to get the keys to the kingdom. He doesn't want to say, your name is Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church. Just that he said the good confession. He also recounts his denial of Jesus when Jesus is arrested on the night before he's crucified. He recounts that in great detail. I want you to think about the humility of a guy that is telling that story on himself. I mean, how far away is that from the story of Judas who not only denied Jesus, but sold him out? That's really kind of what Simon Peter was doing. Imagine how painful it would be to dictate that to Mark, to write it down, that all of the ages that was gonna read this gospel was gonna be reminded that Simon Peter betrayed Jesus by denying, he knew him three times. And there's something else interesting. There is no mention in the book of Mark of how Jesus reinstated Peter into his good graces. You can read that, but you have to go to the last part of the book of John to read it. John recounts it, but not Simon Peter. So we feel like we're just kind of walking with with Peter on this journey, as he discovers the meaning of humility and discovers the meaning of suffering in real time and how that contrasted with his own life. You know what we're watching? As we read the book of Mark, we're watching a man change, literally, right before your eyes. Because that's what's happening to Simon Peter. He was this guy, and then he met Jesus, And there's this process and he becomes this guy. And these two guys aren't even recognizable from each other. Very, very different. And let me ask you this question because I think it bears on what Mark is trying to show you. How in the world can anyone be in the presence of Jesus like Simon Peter was and stay the same? How can they not change How often, how long can we continue to refuse looking with honesty at ourselves and see how far short we fall and how far we need to go? Peter's story really shows that ability to change, but it's hopeful. It's so hopeful. Remember where this was written from? It was written from prison in Rome. As a matter of fact, it was being dictated by a man who not too far in the very short future is going to be put to death because of his testimony for Jesus Christ. A man who denied Jesus three times is in prison waiting to die. And the way that Fox's book of martyrs tells you he died is by crucifixion. But because he didn't feel worthy to die the way that Jesus died, they crucified him upside down. I think that's powerful that he was put to death for one reason and one reason only. And it was his total commitment to Jesus Christ. That is a testimony of absolute change. It's about the God of the universe becoming the most humble of servants because that's what Jesus did. It's about him leaving the throne of grace leaving the throne of the universe and coming down to deliver that grace to people who didn't deserve it. It's about the most unworthy of followers. And that's what Simon Peter was. He was the most unworthy of followers, becoming a beacon of commitment. And do you know why? It was because of love. It was because the power of Jesus's love for him. And that power of love can change somebody. So let me ask you, we go through the book of Mark and we read from John the Baptist and his ministry, the ministry of Jesus, all the way to his death, burial, and resurrection. We hear it from Simon Peter's perspective. We're getting his version of what he sees at that crossroads. What are your takeaways? Well, let me tell you what my takeaways are. First of all, This is a short walk. I mean, it doesn't take long to read the 16 chapters of the book of Mark. They're short chapters, and you can read it in one sitting. But think about what you can do in that short walk with Simon Peter. You can actually experience his life with Jesus, living with him for three years by reading this book. Less than an hour, you will have the opportunity to walk with Simon Peter. And when you think about how rich those three years were, it's really such a small investment to make, isn't it? To really get a feel of what it was like for Peter to relate to Jesus. You get such a great return. The next thing I want us to think about, if we're gonna read it first or listen to it first, is to believe it. When I say believe it, I mean, take it into your heart. See where Peter's view informs your view. You know, that's what is so powerful about the book of Mark is if Simon Peter can change, that means I can change. The power that changed Simon Peter is the same power that is available to me right now to change. And there are plenty of things in my life that needs to change. Are there things in your life that need to change? So it isn't just to read it or listen to it. Take it in, believe it, make it your own. We can change and we learn that from Simon Peter. Number three, take action on what you're believing. Apply it to your life and apply it to your decision-making. Ask yourself this question. What kind of a servant am I? What am I willing to suffer for the sake of my relationship to Jesus Christ? How am I doing in the area of personal humility? Am I moving along that continuum? Am I a different person than I used to be? If people saw me or they related to me, people that knew me a while ago, would they be able to say, well, that guy is not the guy he used to be. They could certainly say that about Simon Peter because he'd been in the presence of Jesus. Would you get in the presence of the word of God? It'll change you. What changes have I made in my life? Maybe you could ask that question. And what changes am I willing to start today? Think about that. Finally, share it. You know, this gospel wasn't written just for you. It was written for your family, your spouse. It was written for your kids, your extended family, your neighbors, your friends. It was written for everybody because when you read the gospel of Mark, you read the account of Simon Peter. It has that potential to change, not just you, but everyone you know. So share it. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your coworkers. Share it with your acquaintance because once you've been in the presence of Jesus Christ, you're not going to stay the same you're going to change. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.